Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcast episodes. Uh, my name is Mitch Schultz. I'm your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Well, it's been uh, probably been three weeks, four weeks that I've put out a podcast. I try to do them every two weeks, but there are times where, as they say, life happens and I've had other things going on and also looking for different topics that I feel, I feel are relevant uh, to that uh, purpose of these podcasts to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And one of the things I've been wanting to talk about for some time, which I think is a stressor in ministry and a stressor in uh, just just life of you know commitment to serving God, and that is our our attitude, our approach to money. Uh, again, one of, one of the things I've seen that does cause stress in in the pastor's life, the uh, ministry worker's life, is uh, the need for security, the desire for security, and and there's tensions that often come about. Uh, uh, in the area of, uh, of money, uh, lack of money. Uh, I don't think too many people have problems with too much money, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure that happens. Uh, there are some who are in, in low-paying low ministry. Uh, there are some who are in debt. Uh, there are moves that happen which bring about unexpected uh, uh, changes in, in uh, financial security. Uh, there's the issue of retirement. Uh, you know, For example, someone who has not thought through and suddenly they're in their 40s and 50s like, ah, I need to think about my future. Uh, so this is an important topic. I think it's also a, a, a gospel issue. It's a kingdom issue. Uh, how we handle money, our attitude towards it, uh, how we handle some of the trials that come with financial problems and burdens. Uh, and it, it does say something about our, I think, our commitment and attitude to the gospel. It's a, it's, it's a heart and center uh, heart center issue for me. Um, it's about the gospel again. Uh, I'm pleased this morning to have an expert talking to us because obviously I'm just going to keep babbling if we don't have someone here rescuing me. Uh, but he's going to come talk to us about this. He's a, a man who loves Jesus deeply. His name is Russ Crossan. Uh, I'm actually somewhat related to him. His son married my niece, and I actually had the privilege of doing their pre-marriage and their uh, wedding. Uh, Russ is an executive vice president and chief mission officer of Ron Blue Trust. Uh, he serves as an advocate for the heart and soul of this organization and works to ensure, and I love this, that the mission of the company is carried out with integrity in every area of the organization with a focus on making sure that the company's mission is passed down and inculcated into future generations. Uh, he's been in this company uh, since uh, 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 two, well, in 2002 to 2017. He served as the president and CEO of, CEO of Ronald Blue and Company, and he was hired on by Ron Blue in 1980 as the second employee of Ronald Blue and Company. So anyway, so much more I could say. He's written books. Uh, he's the author of Your Life Well Spent, The Truth About Money Lies, What Makes a Leader Christ, and most recently, Your Money made simple. Uh, he's a featured speaker in many venues, including in the past Promise Keepers, uh, Ishakar Summit, and America's Best Hope. So uh, without any further introduction, let's go in and jump into that conversation now. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, I have the privilege of interviewing Russ Crossan. You are in Roswell, Georgia, right, Russ? That's right, Mitch. Thanks. Awesome. Well, we um, I've met you a couple times, but we do have a, a connection. Your son is married to my niece. Uh, Chad is married to Jordana. I had the privilege of doing their marriage counseling and also their wedding and uh, had the chance to meet you then and once or, once and, uh, once or twice since. Uh, but thank you again for talking about something you're passionate about and, and gifted in here on uh, the pastor and, and his money as the topic here. Um, so thanks again for, for being willing to do this. I appreciate it. Uh, well, listen, no give worries. us a summary of, of your journey and um, what you're doing now, why you're doing what you're doing, uh, what drives you, what's your passion? Well, Mitch, I've been doing what I'm doing for over four decades now, and I absolutely love it as much today as the day I started because we get to help people apply wisdom for wealth for life. And that's a tagline of our company. We help people know what God's word says about their money, what he says about their life, which is we think to be purposeful and generous and wealth for life, which is generational, which has got a family um, generational concept to it. So yeah, I, I've, I was a former math teacher, so I still get to work with numbers, but just enjoy. And I was a teacher. I coached and, and taught uh, for three years, but I still get to teach people in this area of money. We like to say we're in the instruction business. Uh, mm-hmm. First Timothy 6 says to instruct those who are rich in this present world, not to be conceited or fix or hope in the uncertainty of riches, but in God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, generous, ready to share storing up for themselves a solid foundation for the future. So yeah, I love still getting to teach. And um, like I said, as passionate today as I was when I started um, over 40 years ago. And you see, you, so you're with Ron Blue Ministries or Ron Blue Investments. It's not called ministry, right? Uh, it's it's Ronald Blue Trust. We are a um, for, for-profit trust company. Okay. Um, and was it ministry before? No, uh, we, we've always, ever called that. Okay. No, it's always been a for-profit company. Um, the whole idea of, of money in the Bible was started by a guy named Larry Burkett in 1975. Yeah, yeah. He had a not-for-profit called Christian Financial Concepts, and Ron started our company in 1979. And originally, we were called Christian Financial Management, and we just help people apply biblical principles. Changed our name to Ronald Blue and Company in 1986. Then we became a trust company in 2017, but. All through these decades, we've done the same thing, and that's helped people actually apply what the Bible says about money to their lives. So mm-hmm. um, we are a for-profit business with a ministry purpose. If you yeah, know. yeah, well, certainly, yeah. And and my I, before we recorded, I shared with you that uh, this is this is a a target of discouragement for for pastors. This is an area that does you know with my ministry as I interact with pastors and people in ministry. It, it can be missionaries as well. Uh, finances can bring about a, a certain kind of stress and, and a burden. Uh, so I, I, this is a very necessary topic. Um, what, what's your burden as it relates to that? What have you observed? And Well, Mitch, thanks for asking. But my burden for pastors is the same as my burden for anybody, you know, a young mm-hmm. college kid starting out or young couple or whatever. And and I just wrote a book called Your Money Made Simple. And, and, the, and the issue is, we need to spend less than we make, whether you're a pastor, whether you're, you know, a business owner or whatever. And you may say, well, I'm a pastor. Don't make that much. Well, Philippians says that God will always supply our needs. And so I've been doing this for 40 years. I've never seen anybody not have enough to meet their needs. Now, maybe not all their wants, mm-hmm. maybe it was really tight and they were really struggling. But at the end of the day, 
um, whatever our vocation, pastor, business owner, teacher, you fill in the blank, um, we're supposed to spend less than we make. You know, we don't presume on the future. We realize that the Lord will meet our needs. And then once we know what those needs are, we, we live within them. And I think my burden is that most people have no idea what, what I like to say is their number. In other words, how much do I really have to make? And I think it's incumbent upon a pastor like anybody else to know what their number is. And mm-hmm. in, the book, in the book, I've got a formula which helps them figure that out. And this is not the retirement number. This is not the number you see on television that Fidelity shows you the, the green line. What's your number? This is simply the number to live and give and pay your taxes. And, and everybody has a number and it's driven by their lifestyle. And, and um, it's incumbent upon us to live within that income and whatever that is. So like I said, yeah. I started off as a teacher and I didn't make much money, but I lived within that teacher's salary. And so I've practiced that for 40 years. Yeah. I wonder, maybe this is just my perspective because I've been a pastor for so many years that uh, pastors, and I could be wrong. I don't want to get uh, stuck too much on this, that the pastors will, other occupations might look for a job more with uh, what the salary or the compensation is, whereas pastors might do it more for the nature of the ministry, the opportunity. And, and therefore there's, there's probably a tendency uh, for pastors to settle for less and to enter into hardship more easily. I could be wrong, but then uh, that's been my observation. No. And I think I told you we'd be off script here, Russ. Mitch, I told you that, I mean, I would say that you're exactly right. They probably have thought that way, but I don't know that that's good thinking. No, no, definitely not. They are worthy of their hire. The scripture is mm-hmm. very clear that those who teach should be taken care of and shame on the church or the ministry that doesn't pay their people what they need to live. And so I think it's incumbent upon the pastor. Yeah, you need to be called. But if I'm called to something that's going to cause me not to be able to provide for my family, it says he does not provide for his family. First Timothy 5, 8 is worse than an infidel. So the point is, I have a responsibility to provide. I need to know what that number is and have a modest lifestyle and all that. And then, and then find a job, whether it's a church, missionary organization or whatever, that, that pays that. But I think you're right. Many times they, since they don't know the number, they, they don't know that, okay, because here's, here's why that's so true. If I don't do that, then I'm going into debt by spending more than I make because I'm not making enough. And then I'm, you know, I'm kind of out on slippery um, ground then because the borrower becomes an under slave. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to get it sometime. You know, I'm going to either my car is going to break down or something's going to happen and, and somebody's going to have to come forward. So I think it's better. We're better off to know what our number is and, and only take jobs that have a chance to provide that. Yeah, I, it's the only uh, job that I know of where you you accept the job and then you find out what you're going to make. <laughs> well, and, and I, that's I happened that, to me a couple of times. I, you know, we we accepted the call to senior pastor in one case puts out and, you know, it, and, but, but it, I think that's changed a lot. I, I think there's, there's uh, been some real progress in this. So well, I would say to elders and others that lead churches that shame on them if they don't take care of the people that they're asking to minister to. Yeah. The people. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, I've seen and uh, talk a little bit here about retirement and we'll circle back to uh, financial responsibilities and, and, and how this is, uh, you know, it can be seen as uh, part of ministry life. And, uh, but we, I, I, I've heard often from pastors uh, and even missionaries um, where they have the, the kind of attitude, well, we're, we're just going to trust the Lord with our future finances. 
and many of them end up suffering. You know, the, we, we have a, uh, it's, it's really not a joke, but uh, a comment that's often made that you'll see a greeter at Walmart being a retired pastor or missionary. Um, so how, what is behind this and how do you speak to that? Well, you know, we're responsible to, to think ahead, to provide for our families. We know that there's going to come a point in time where we may not be able to earn our current income as a pastor or whatever. Mm -hmm. So what am I going to do then? And so I need to plan ahead. Now, not necessarily store up too much. I think retirement has been way overrated uh, in this country. In fact, it's not even biblical. The only place we see it mentioned is in Numbers 8, 23 to 26. And even then, um, the Levites were to assist the next generation. So I think, Mitch, working at Walmart is not necessarily a bad thing. But the point is, I should also be thinking ahead. What if I can't do that? What if I can't generate income? Um, what kind of a, a fund do I need to have so I can continue to live and spend less than I make? And so I think just like we tell anybody, um, a pastor is not excluded from the idea that, hey, I need to set some aside the ant, the ant stored up. We see that in Proverbs, mm -hmm. um, you know, for, for the winter. And so I think th that's where you need accountability, Mitch, because you don't want to store up too much, but you don't want to store up too little. Mm -hmm. We've got to be willing to mistrust ourselves so we can convince ourselves of anything. Um, we, we counsel many of our clients. They've got too much in retirement. So there's, a, you know, there's, there's two extremes to this retirement thing. Mm. One, one's too much, and they should be giving that away. Others is not enough and being presumptive on the future, and that's not biblical either. So there's a balancing act. And you know, I've concluded that to be a good steward, you've got to do two things. You've got to apply biblical principles of money, and you've got to allow yourself to be accountable to somebody because you can convince yourself of anything. So I would encourage that pastor, you know, find somebody that can, you know, a trusted person, a friend, an accountant, somebody that can really help them kind of balance that because mm -hmm. having none in, none in retirement is not good. Having too much in retirement's too far the other way and somewhere in the middle should be our uh, approach. Yeah, very good. And my apologies to anyone working at Walmart who's listening to this after, no, I mean, after <laughs> your answer. <laughs> no, that's good. I, I love it. I mean, the key word there is balance. Um, yeah, God blesses us so that we are cared for, but gen so that we can be generous too. And see, and Mitch, it's interesting because we were, the Bible is, does not tell us how much to give and tell us mm -hmm. how to live and tell us a lifestyle. And, and so that's where we have to be so careful because, you know, obviously you don't want your lifestyle to get out of control beyond what you're able to provide. Um, but you're also supposed to enjoy the trip. God gives us all things for our enjoyment. So I've learned in in my, we wish the Bible just was prescriptive, you know, give this much, live in this house, you know, save this much, but it doesn't. And therefore you have to just apply the biblical principles and have somebody looking over your shoulder to see if you're not leaving something out. Yeah. Good. Good. I've noticed churches um, sometimes can uh, scrutinize their pastor uh, in the way he carries himself financially. Um, I, I had a old BMW once and uh, was told that it, you know, it, it appeared that I was carrying myself as though I had a lot of money and it was maybe worth a thousand dollars. But pastors are often, you know, the home they live in, the kind of car they drive. And of course, we've seen abuse in the way money has been uh, handled by people in ministry. Uh, but how, how does a pastor live with this tension? And, um, and what do you say to the church uh, well, and to the pastor in this area? I would say that, yeah, there's been abuse and that's very unfortunate, Mitch, and it's clouded everything. But I would say that the pastor, you know, perception is reality and 
And like one time early on in my career, I didn't buy a certain model of car because I didn't want to create the right or the wrong image. But the point is, if I've got accountability, so I think what I would say is just make sure you as a pastor are submitted to accountability. So you've got somebody that can, and then it really doesn't matter. I mean, you need to be sensitive to the image. So maybe there are certain things you would drive or certain places you would live or not live because you want to, but at the end end of the day, you still need to, you know, live and, and give and, and it's okay to have some nice things. And, but if you have accountability, it's easy to, to, for somebody to say, Hey, you know, we're looking over their shoulder, you know, they're applying the biblical principles Mm -hmm. and we can all judge. We can all drive an older car. I mean, even you right now, you're sitting in a house. I see you got lights and a fan. I mean, you could take out that fan, right? And so the point is we all could, you know, and downward mobility is not next to godliness, just like, you know, well, health, wealth, and prosperity is not next to godliness. And that's why it's just so interesting. And we need to be careful to judge. You know, I want my pastor to be taken care of so he can minister, not worry about, you know, where the next meal's coming from. And, you know, he can, as long as his car is paid for, I don't really care what he drives. Yeah, good answer. I love that. Uh, I love the idea of accountability that you you have brought up a couple times. Uh, I you know even even maybe uh, all of us uh, having someone that we can talk to and say uh, you know is there any any is there a blind spot here is there anything that I'm giving the perception of that's uh, that that's you know I need to be thinking about. See, Mitch, this is what's interesting. We're all going to stand before God, and we're all an in of one. He's, we're going to make an account for how we stewarded what he gave us, mm-hmm. pastor, you know, missionary, whatever. And nobody else is going to make an account. And so shame on us for judging. We need to make yeah. sure that we don't, you know, that we're going to be standing there. And then that's why I've said before, and I'll say this again, we got to mistrust ourselves because we can convince ourselves of anything. And so that's why, you know, here in our company, all of our advisors have their own advisor because they, they have to have that accountability to yeah. make sure they find the principles. So, yeah, I think, just remember, we're all ends of one. We're going to stand before God, and we want Him to hear hear Him say, "Job well done, good and faithful servant." And um, but we're going to stand there by ourselves, and so we shouldn't be judging others. We should be making sure, hey, when, how am I going to answer that when He says, "How'd you do with what I gave you?" Mm-hmm. I'm going to get back to uh, you know, rather than using the word uh, retirement, uh, con- the consideration of our our future uh, relative to our finances. There's some specific things you've talked about in in your book, and you and I have written back and forth. A, a, I mean, just practical things. And I know this happens. Uh, this option is there early on for people in ministry of opting out of Social Security. Uh, what, what advi- how, how does that come up? Uh, who, who brings that up? How do you respond to that? Well, I think I sent you a, an article. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think pastors need to be very careful before they just opt out. And as I'll read from that article, basically for them to opt out, they have to be thinking there's something theologically wrong with it. And they have to say, I'm consciously opposed to, because of my religious principles, I'm opposed to it. And so and, and, and I think that they just got to be careful um, about um, opting out because um, in many cases that will be something that will help them later on. But I think sometimes they've thought, you know, I can do better with the money myself. And in some cases they might be able to, but I just, just, they just need to really get some advice because they may be giving up some other things, some insurance benefits and other things if they opt out of it that they may have been inadvertently overlooked. So um, I wouldn't just arbitrarily think, you know, I'm not going to fund Social Security because that could be part of part of um, 
of their solution when they reach those retirement ages. What, what do you hear as a, a reason, a, a pass, you know, if they're seeking your advice on this? I mean, you've got to be awfully objective. I mean, yeah, I mean but, yeah we don't get this a lot. Um, yeah. and, and, but I think it, they, they have to really be able to say that they theologically are opposed to it. Um, and that's, you know, what's their theological reason? I don't want to take something from the government, although we're told mm-hmm. in Roman, Roman 13, you know, we're to, you know, submit to the governing authorities. And so many times I think it's because they think they can just earn more and, you know, less tax. And it's kind of a short-term perspective rather than a long-term. And I think that's what we would say to them is just make sure you've projected this out, you know, sure you're not paying the tax now, but how much do you have to save? You know, what's that going to look like, you know, 30 years from now? So I think, mm-hmm. We like to tell people the longer term your perspective, better your decisions. So it might seem like, hey, don't have to pay that tax. I'm gonna obviously be better off when I'm 60. Well, not necessarily. So project that out and then make an informed decision. Yeah. It's yeah. not, you know, here again, it's 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 not a, a a moral decision. You know, you can really decide one way or the other, it doesn't matter. But I would say be informed. And that's true mm-hmm. not only with this decision, but any financial decision is be informed and and project out the implications of whatever decision you're making. And, and a lot of people don't do that. They just decide, I'm going to make this tax shelter investment. I'm going to get out of social security. I'm going to do whatever. And they didn't have somebody say, okay, well, if you do that, here's what it looks like at 65. If you don't do that, here's what it looks like. And I would just say, again, the longer term, your perspective, the better your decision. So project it out, make your decision. Um, and I don't know that I can, I mean, obviously we don't work with a lot of pastors, but um, I'm sure there's probably as many that opt in as opt out. And mm-hmm. I just think it's, you just got to look at your personal situation and, and project it out and don't just think you're going to be better off because all of a sudden you're not having that tax hit right now when you're 32. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's other options that uh, have been provided for like housing allowance that pastors, people in ministry might not know about. Uh, how, how do you direct people to consider that? Well, gosh, that's one of the real benefits of being a yeah. pastor. That just means you're going to pay less tax because you get some some income that's not taxable. So that's good. I mean, obviously, you should take advantage of that. And that's a really good thing. And that's why when you do your plan, um, your taxes are going to be lower than if you're making $60,000 because of the housing allowance, your taxes are going to be lower than the businessman making $60,000, just the way it is. So because you're not going to be paying as much tax as some of that income's not going to be taxed. And so you should definitely take advantage of that. Um, yeah. So for example, if someone's working from home, they can use their office expenses in the office, whatever else is, is considered, um, uh, you know, in the category of ministry that can be deducted. Um, and usually that's, there is a form you fill out as well. Yeah. Um, I do this in the beginning of the year, my board approves it. And then, um, you know, you, you keep receipts, you, you're able, you have to justify it, obviously, if you're audited. And, um, and then that's, that's your taxable income. Uh, your taxable income is what you make minus housing allowance. Yeah. And that's, that's my point. See, yeah. you can do that as a pastor. You can do that. I can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's why I said, if I made 60,000 and you made 60,000, you're going to pay tax on maybe 54 or 50. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to give you a tax break which should help your overall financial situation. So yeah, you should claim whatever housing allowance you can claim to the maximum. 
All right. We talked, uh, I, do you have anything more to say about, um, we broached this a little earlier, if the church is, you know, pastor realizes the church is really not taking care of him financially. Uh, you know, maybe we can talk a little bit more about this. How does he have that conversation with his leaders? Because well, this, is, this is different than coming in and being, you know, naive and not asking the right questions, but a year or two in, you realize, wow, um, we're not making it. Well, I think a couple of things, Mitch, that book I sent you has a formula and the numerator of the formula to tell you how much you have to make is your living expenses. So Mm -hmm. I think you do a detailed living expense sheet, which shows realism. It's not extravagant. Um, And then that shows how much you have to make. And if you're below that, then something's got to change. You can't Mm -hmm. cut your expenses anymore. Um, But it also would help if you had a third party. Remember, I'm back to this person Mm -hmm. that's holding you accountable or somebody's looking over your shoulder. For them to be able to present that case, say, hey, I've met with I've met with Mitch, I've looked at their budget, their living expenses, and given their lifestyle and their living expenses, which seem to be very, very reasonable, given stage in life, kids, blah, blah, blah. Um, they've got to make X, even with the housing allowance and some of the tax benefits they're getting, you know, they've got to make X and you're paying them, you know, 90% of X. And because here again, you you can't. You can, here's the thing, Mitch, you can't, you can leave stuff out of your living expenses and act like it's going to work. Like you don't fund for home repair, auto repair, or you leave out gifts, you leave out, you know, vacation, you leave out stuff that really is part of a balanced lifestyle. You can leave those things out and make it appear that you're making it. Church mm-hmm. feel like, well, you should be okay. Well, yeah, I haven't bought new clothes in five years or, you know, so you have to budget. Well, one thing I say in my book is you have to be realistic and don't leave anything out. So I think that's the first step is if you're going to go see your elders, make sure you have a realistic budget with nothing left out. If you have a third party present that, then you should be in good standing because I mean, they all, they all have a, they all have a living expense sheet that they're working off of and they don't leave stuff out just to make it work. Yeah. And, and also the pastor's um, uh, comfort in, in talking about finances as a, as a preacher, as a pastor, uh, the question I, the way I worded it here, maybe we, I could ask it a little differently, but in what way should the pastor and the church see financial conversations as a matter of discipleship? And I, and I think what, meant th- what I meant there is just the ease of talking about this. Of, uh, so it doesn't appear, I think the tendency is, uh, oh, the, the church is talking about this because they want money, you know. Um, interesting timing. We, you know, we have a, a building plan going and now we're talking about money. <laughs> That's why they shouldn't talk about it then. They should be talking about it as All the part time. parcel to their, because basically, you know, Luke says you cannot serve God in money. Mm-hmm. So we have to talk about money and where it is in the, in the heart, where it is in our hearts and where it is in our lives. And so if I'm doing, if I'm teaching the totality of scripture and money is in there, you know, 2000 some verses, you know, more than heaven and hell combined, I should just be talking about it, help people mm-hmm. know what the Bible says about giving and, and um, that it's a, re- there's a rewards for giving. And I give as a, a way to acknowledge God's ownership. And I give as a sign of worship and I give, you know, to break the power of money. So it should never be talked about just around a giving program. It should be talked or a capital campaign. It should be talked about because I'm teaching you what the Bible says, just like I teach them about discipleship. I teach them about child discipline. I teach them about what good marriages look like. I should teach them about what the Bible says about money. And for example, I'm getting ready to teach in a couple of weeks on what makes a good steward. And basically, you know, the punchline is going to be what I've just shared with you. I'm a good steward if I have applied biblical principles, 
you know, spend less than I make, get out of debt, you know, have a conservative lifestyle, you know, diversify, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. Ecclesiastes 11, one and two, and then I have accountability. And so I think, I think Mitch, um, if we're going to disciple our people, I need to talk about money. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of resources out now that you can get to share these principles. Obviously Larry Burkett started it, like I said, in 75, but there's lots of good books and things out that people can, and just teach the principles. I'm getting ready to work on a book with another gentleman and uh, talking about, you know, why do we have wealth and, and, and how much are you supposed to give and who do you give it to and all that. So I think, yeah, don't just wait till you're doing a capital campaign, just minister to your people by just like you do with the other topics you talk about. And um, yeah. Yeah, this, this next question is, is probably a, a funny way to end up. This is a real sharp turn from how, you know, how we've been having this conversation, but it comes up and I know we struggled with it a lot as we were pastoring, but the idea of the pastor tithing back to the church, uh, does he tithe to his church or does he find other avenues to give? No, oh, well, um, well, first of all, <laughs> I tell by my comments, I don't like the word tithe. Mm-hmm because that basically means 10%. And yeah. in the New Testament, we're told to give according to our ability. So here's what I would say to the pastor. I, Julie and I have really been impacted by this concept of having a God pocket, and that's money that we've given away. We just don't know until God impresses on us where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. This is non-deductible money. So it's money, like I've got two $50 bills right here in my wallet. This is part of my God pocket. And so mm-hmm. basically, I don't know who these are going to go to, but they're going to go to somebody. And I would, so I, I would encourage a pastor to That's too bad the, we're talking over Zoom here. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I give it to you. Um, but but here, here's the point, Mitch. Yeah, I, the New Testament says, give according to your ability. Um, a tithe is a good place to start and a lousy place to stop, but it also mm-hmm. says to meet needs, okay? And so you, you as a pastor are going to, just like myself, are going to run across needs in your sphere of influence that aren't related to the church. You know, it's the neighbor, it's the gal with the dry cleaner, or it's the guys that come cut the tree up that fell down on your property, you name it. Mm-hmm. And Julie and I, we give about 20% of what we have to non-deductible meeting of needs. Mm-hmm. And so I don't care whether the pastor ties or not to the church. I think that'd be a great place to start, but he should also have a pool of money that he's giving to other needs that he comes across in his day-to-day walk. So I guess what I'm saying is I don't think all of his giving should go to the church, whether that's 10% or five or 20. Yeah. Yeah. I I think the tension there is that the church pays him and he's giving back, which is, you know, I think the, the, the principles there is, is, in a sense, you know, recognizing the generosity of the church and you want to bless them back with, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, whether it's the church or another ministry, it really, again, it's up to the, it's up to the individual, isn't it? I, I, I don't know if, I don't know if churches, you know, expect a pastor to do that. Uh, I, 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 I know maybe, I'm, yeah. If I'm a church, I want my pastor to be exhibiting generosity mm-hmm. in his life. And obviously giving back to the church, is a key part of that. How much that is, I, you know, like I said, maybe 10% is the number. And then he's got a couple percent above that that he gives, you know, to other things and people that are in need or whatever. But I just think that if I'm a church evaluating my pastor, I want him to be exhibiting a spirit of generosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Um, and I would just say, well, your question here is, should he find other ways to give? I think my comment to you is that I don't think all that he gives should go to the church. I think there's going to be other giving opportunities in his sphere. And you say, well, Russ, in that bad stewardship, if you give it away and it's not deductible. No, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. I think God wants us to, you know, he gives to us to meet the needs of those who don't have second Corinthians eight. So Julie and I've had more fun giving this quote 20% that's not deductible um, than we do almost any other amount of the giving that we do. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean we, we're okay giving to our church and giving to other ministries, but we really love seeing needs and meeting them and not worrying about if it's a deduction or not. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something beautiful about, uh, at, and this is what you're giving as a testimony here of just being available in the moment to, to give as you see someone uh, in need. And that could be that you see someone walking down the street and you pick them up and you help them out uh, with a meal or pay someone's grocery as you're in line with them. Hey, I went to coffee today with, I, I meet with pastors uh, three, there, there's four of us this morning. And when I went to pay for my, uh, my meal, uh, someone said, well, someone paid for it already. And I, and it, it, it was just, just such a heartwarming feeling. And, and I looked around and I didn't know anybody there. I had not seen anybody else that I knew. So I don't know what happened. Well, <laughs> that's you, what you're talking about. You mentioned your, in this niece. case, I was the recipient of it, which is a blessing. Well, you mentioned your niece earlier, and I'm so proud of my son and her because um, they they inadvertently got their neighbor's um, electrical bill in their mailbox. Mm-hmm. They, had, they didn't really notice that it wasn't for them until they'd already opened it. And they, they noticed they owed $500 on this electrical bill, and it was past due. So Chad and Jor called the electric company and paid it. Oh, my goodness. That's wonderful. They paid it out of this this idea that, Hey, some of our giving is going to meet needs. And so just, I just, anyway, that's a long answer to should all. Yeah. Your- that, I love that. I, you know, I actually recommended they do that in our premarital. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I did not. <laughs> well, I hope they picked that up from Julie and I, I think. Yeah, I, I did. You're, you're definitely, definitely obviously did. Uh, well, Russ, this has been a, this has been a really good conversation. It's, it's different than the other ones that I've had. The other ones, you know, podcasts tend to deal with the, you know, the raw hard stuff in ministry. And, uh, this is refreshing to talk about something a little, that's a little easier to talk about, but it's an important topic. So any, any final thoughts as we wrap up? No, I would just say, and you know, you've got that book. I'm, I'm we're happy to make yeah, I'll link. I'll put that in the link in that article as well. And I would just say to people that you know, this is not complicated. You spend less than you make and do it for a mm-hmm. long time. Um, whether you make a little or a lot, that is, I will just say, you know, this, this may not be what you want to hear, but I've told my wife, I've, I've, as I've watched wealthy people, it's, it's almost easier not to have too much. Yeah. I really believe yeah. that Yeah, I because hear, I hear there's their own often. set of problems out there. So I would just, I would just encourage you wherever you are, God's going to meet your needs and live within those, uh, that income and uh, enjoy the trip. Um, and, and don't think that more would make it easier because um, it doesn't. And um, yeah, don't make it more complicated than it should be. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you. I really appreciate um, the conversation and we uh, look forward to seeing you at maybe some family events soon. Thanks, Mitch. Thank you. Bye-bye. <music>
Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any comments or questions about anything we've talked about today on this Before You Quit podcast, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. 